Adrian, if you don't know me, basically we're going to continue in our series uh, where we're looking at this amazing letter uh, written to the church in Ephesus and the surrounding area called Ephesians. And yet we've given it a different title to kind of hook everything on called Craft It. And if you're around last week, what we were looking at is the fact kind of Paul's changed gear somewhat, having kind of spelled out kind of the wonder of this amazing new life we get to have uh, in and through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection uh, through the first kind of couple of chapters of Ephesians and then kind of showing the impact that it has on who we are collectively together. Paul kind of zooms in and says, well, then it has to change then who we are as individuals, surely. And, and so last week, we kind of began, uh, began a journey of kind of looking at, well, then what does this new life look like for us as individuals and how do we live out of the reality of it? And if you're around, we kind of hung it on uh, the fact that we have been crafted new. So Ephesians 4.24 says this, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And what we discovered is there's this reality of an amazing new life that we have through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But it's a reality that is true, and yet we've got to still seek to live in light of it. And before we kind of look at some of the challenges of living in light of it, I just want to just remind us for a moment of what it looks like to live in this new life. Now, maybe you've not centered your life on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. My hope is that rather than this feeling like you're being pushed out at this point in time, rather it means it's a moment of being gathered in to say, surely this is quite an amazing life that's been kind of put forward. Because for those of us who've got it, it does us good to look at this and think, man, this is amazing. And my hope is for any one of us, wherever we're at in terms of who Jesus is, is actually starting to see this is a pretty amazing life that's been on offer. And so this is kind of a summary of what we discover first through the first three chapters of Ephesians of how Paul paints this amazing new life that we have in Jesus. He says it's that we're chosen, blameless, shameless, loved, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, have purpose, power, we're alive by grace. All of it is because of God, nothing that we've done. It's we're God's handiwork, we're accepted, we belong, we're a dwelling of God, as well as we get to dwell with God. We're accepted, uh, sorry, we're, we're free, we're confident, and we're uniquely gifted. And what we looked at last week is that actually this is a reality that we therefore get to live in and out of now. And if you like, it's, um, it's about therefore whether we live from this new reality. It isn't that one day it could be real, it's that actually Jesus has afforded us this life now to live in. And Paul now wants to kind of get us to understand that this is something we now need to decide to live in the good of. It's real. It's a reality of our life. We put our faith and trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But there's still a part we get to play in it of, are we therefore going to live in light of this? And what he does is he begins to reveal what this looks like, understanding that we are a whole person made up of different parts. And so if you're around last week, we looked at how it transforms our mind, how we think about ourselves, how we think in light of situations. And so if you weren't around last week, I'm not going to recap. I'm just going to say, go online, listen to it, because it will do you good in respect to how we think. Next week, we're going to look at how it transforms how we speak. The week after that, we'll look at how it transforms how we act. But today, I want us to look at how it transforms our emotions. And we're going to discover that we are crafted new, anew, and that's even in respect to our emotions. See, Paul wants us to understand that we are a whole person. And this amazing new life we have in Christ is to infect, affect, whatever other words you want to use, transform, uh, kind of splurge within every facet of who we are, including our emotions. 
You see, each and every one of us are emotional beings. You see, emotions are basically the internal uh, kind of spontaneous responses we have to people, situations, and events. And every single one of us will have multiple numbers of them continuously. Even in this moment, you're internally having a response to who I am and what I'm saying. And the question is, how do those responses get shaped by this new reality of who we are in Christ? Because there's a danger that actually these responses actually shape who we are. And if we're not careful, we can end up becoming governed by our emotions. What do I mean by that? Well, I'd say there's a few different ways that we can end up being governed by emotions. The first one is what I like to call roller coaster living. Now, if you like, I'm someone who, to be honest, wears my heart on my sleeve. Uh, my face continuously reveals what I'm actually feeling and thinking. However much I try and hide it, people can always tell. I was even just talking uh, to Julia, who does the screens at the back, and she says, I've started to know when you want the next slide, because you always look up. And I thought, I didn't even know I did that. <laughs> it's like something in me, I just can't help but kind of portray outwardly what's going on inwardly. And there's something in it. And for me, there's a real danger that in terms of my emotions they can start to take this, the kind of primary governing state of who I am and where, how I'm doing through kind of roller coaster living. So if everything's okay, I feel like, wow, top of the world. You know, maybe someone's come up to me and said, hey, Adrian, that was great what you said this morning. And I'm thinking, yes, come on, come on. Then I speak to the next person and they, maybe they just share how they're doing. And because I'm a bit of a sponge, because I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve, feel and kind of attract emotions as someone else shares and says, actually, I'm just, I'm not doing great today. And so I start to suck that in and think, oh, yeah. And suddenly the roller coaster ride is starting to start to go down. Then maybe someone says, hey, Adrian, I just need to talk to you because you know how you said last week you were going to talk, ring me, and I just wanted to say you haven't. And at that point, I implode and think, oh, no, what have you done? And suddenly the roller coaster has really gone down the bottom. And for me, I have to be careful that emotions don't govern everything else. Because if I do, I end up with really big highs and then suddenly lows and then it's the next high. And my day can feel like the best Alton Towers ride you could possibly go on in respect to a roller coaster, but it isn't fun. So that's the first way. The second way, I would say, is excess baggage. You see, we can end up allowing kind of experiences that have happened in our past, maybe things that have been done to us, things that we've done. Maybe it's in kind of situations we're facing in the present. Maybe it's our kind of fears or hopes for the future to actually begin to kind of determine everything about who we are and how we feel about that, how we're left feeling about that, becomes this kind of excess baggage that we're continuously carrying with us. This as the kind of slide shows, it's not just like a rucksack on our back, but it just feels like this immense weight that whatever we're doing, we're continuously carrying with us. And this reality of this new life we have in Jesus, we think, well, that is good, but I've got all of this that I'm still carrying, and I can't make sense of that given all of this. So excess baggage. The next one I'd say is that of treading water, where it feels like actually just because of what's happened, maybe it's through guilt or shame, maybe it's... Just the reality of just feeling just so dark. We just feel like I can't get out of this place. And it may be that there's this new reality of this new life we have in Jesus, but we just say, but to fully understand that, I just can't do because I just feel locked in where I am. It feels just like I'm treading water. And to be honest, just treading water feels enough to survive. There can also be that sense of treading water because we think, man, if I really let out 
what's in, I don't, under, I don't know if I know what's going to be there. And so there becomes then this kind of fear even to kind of unlock something of the emotions that we feel, out of fear of what could happen. So we just tread water, being governed by these emotions. Fourth one, I say, and if you like, I've made all the nice ones up to this one, and this one is the one everyone's going to... I'm not going to look at anyone in the eye at this point, so you don't think that I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about anyone in this room, obviously. But sometimes when we're governed by emotions, it can cause us to become toxic. And what I mean by that is there's something about what's happened that causes us to lose hope. And in it, we can't help but see any situation as one where actually it, there's destined for despair. And for us, we've gone from a point of kind of a glass half empty attitude to one that just seems and can't help but burst anyone's balloon or bubble, whichever way you want to put it. And whenever anyone shares something, we can't help but say, oh, no, come on, let's be realistic here. This isn't going to happen. And what happens is we, we, we become someone who is toxic, not wanting to be, but we just, through what's going on internally, it just affects externally how we act towards others. And so after a while, we find that people don't want to be around us as much. And we find however much we try to alter it, it seems to still be the, state, the way we seem to react and uh, interact with people. So there's that sense where, actually, I think, with emotions, they, if we allow them to govern us, they can have these profound effects on us. Now, at that point, you can say, well, then, maybe to enjoy this new reality of who we are in Jesus, with our emotions, let's just be robots. Let's just literally park them. Let's get rid of our emotions. After all, surely it's about the truth and what Jesus said about us. We're adopted, we're chosen, we're shameless, we're blameless. We live in that. Emotions just get rid of thing is, if we live that way, surely it's actually living sure of who God is. We're those who've been restored into the image of God, and God is one who is emotional. You have to read the whole of the Bible to discover continuously how God is one who is emotional. He's one who feels joy, who sees the whole of creation at the very beginning and, and sees that it's good, takes pleasure in it. Have moments where he's turn to anger because he sees the pain and, and discomfort that sin is bringing to his creation. See moments where he's jealous purely after people having the best of what he's got for them. See moments where he is filled with joy and pain and sorrow. See, when Jesus walked the planet, he didn't walk as a robot saying, I am light of world. No, he came and shared of him the whole self. The Part of our makeup as human beings is that we image God, both in our sense of being able to reason, both in our physical bodies being able to do things, but also in the sense of we are emotional beings. And that is imaging who God is. Therefore, it can't be that we're to be robots. This also means that we get to live in reality. See, people sniff out unreality. People who don't believe in Jesus can sniff out when it doesn't seem real. And so that point where you get a bunch of people who say, oh yeah, we all follow Jesus, and then kind of tragedy kind of hits, and everyone says, doesn't matter, everything's okay, everything's awesome. And people think, really? There's a need for people to say, is, is there reality? Do you feel things? Then you make sense of what happens, which we're going to go on to look at. But we're not called to be robots. Paul, therefore, wants us to understand there is a new way of living in this new life. 
that allows our emotions not to shape and kind of be the governing force of the reality we live in that Jesus has afforded us, but rather this reality that Jesus has afforded us shapes everything, including our emotions. And this bit of Ephesians that we're going to look at now in Ephesians chapter 4, what Paul does is he takes one type of emotion, emotion that actually every single one of us in this room will have felt at some point of anger. And what he does is he reveals through looking at anger a way that we can actually wrongly and rightly deal with our emotions. In order that we can live in the good of the life that we have in Christ, even within our emotions. And what we're going to discover is what he says about anger is true generally for all of our emotions. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to turn to Ephesians 4. We're going to read from verse 26, literally four verses today. 26, 27, and 31, 32. Paul writes this, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, as I said, this is Paul zooming on anger, but we're going to find the principles of how he looks at anger or principles of how we can therefore handle our emotions. I love the fact that how Paul kind of writes and roots in these massive theological truths is in the reality of our everyday life. I, think you, I love the fact that Paul deals with emotions. Because we're emotional beings, so we get to understand this. Now in it, he also understands that emotions are vibrant and mixed. So the fact that he uses anger, what uh, our language fails to do, and we're just going to linger on this slide for a moment, is that we generally say, oh, I'm angry. Whereas in the Greek that the Bible was originally written in, the, the word that's being used here for anger, and it's used four different times, are four different words. Because what it's doing is, even in that, revealing that when we're talking about emotions, it's not just an emotion. Emotions are very varied, a mix. So actually, you have, first of all, it says, in your anger, the word anger there is this general sense of anger. You then have, do not let the sun uh, go down while you're still angry. The word there, angry, is more talking about something that you're internally in-house feeling about something that has provoked you. There's a very specific thing there. Then the third use of anger is actually a word that then gets kind of replaced with rage because we've got something in our language that helps here. So you've got rage, which is this kind of fired up moment of out of an injustice or out of a sense of feeling wronged, there's this fired out kind of immediate red hot moment is what's being expressed there. Then you have the next one. It goes, rather than saying anger and anger, we then have rage and anger. But again, that word anger there isn't the same as the word that was used in verse 26. Either of those. What we've got there in that word is this slow brimming kind of sense of mulling something over that is increasingly leading us to a desire for vengeance and to take action. Now, the thing is, you can't put that in, can you? Anger, you can just put anger. That helps us. If, if you put in there... Rage and that slow, brimming, deep sense that is building within you in order that you're going to take vengeance. It's going to just keep expanding. So it's important that when we see these words, Paul was talking, understanding that actually we're talking about emotions that have a varied makeup. 
Now in it, he also helps us with some principles. First is this. It starts off, in your anger. I think this is really important. In your anger. He doesn't say, don't get angry. That's really important. He says, in your anger. You see, Paul is giving us space to understand that we can be emotional. He's obviously, as I've said, here, look, zooming in on anger. Now, I think it's important to look at anger because actually so often we think, oh, no, you mustn't be angry. Now, Paul says, no, you can be angry. You can feel things. You can feel angry. You can feel other emotions. Here's the key, though, which he continues. Do not sin. You can feel stuff, but watch how, how you react from how you're feeling. And Paul says, do not sin. Now, we remember from last week that whole area of sin is part of the old life. And the old life was ultimately always about destruction. And so what Paul's saying here is, when you feel stuff, whether it be anger or something else, don't allow it to lead to destructive behavior. Destructivity that can affect you as an individual or others around you that you become destructive to you or others. Now, in it, he then goes on and says, why? Why should you not do that? Well, because of this reason. It gives the devil a foothold. Now, the thing is, in our day and age, we don't like talking about the devil. That's good for one reason, because we like talking about God, who's Father, Son, and Spirit. We like making much of him. The other reason we don't like talking about it is because it makes us sound a bit nuts. We can think, oh, yeah, there's God. But as soon as you say, oh, there's the devil as well, everyone thinks, Okay, let's move on. But the reality is, from the very beginning of the book right to the end, there is this character who's looking to usurp God's authority all the way through, who's continuously longing to have what you and I have, which is to image God and be an equal with God. And that's the devil. And the devil's desire is, therefore, to continuously destroy anything that is seeking to reveal the image of God. And absolutely loves it, when anything is destroying the image of God. And so Paul writes and says, actually, you've got to understand that you can think all you're doing is doing harm to yourself or to others if you handle your emotions wrongly in it becoming destructive. But actually what it's also doing is it's causing one who's continuously out to destroy your understanding of the reality you now have in Jesus or your ability to reveal that new life in Jesus. And that's the devil. Therefore, be on guard. Be on guard for one who's seeking to destroy. Oh, got a bit heavy, didn't it? But Paul continues. He doesn't only say that we have emotions. How we're to react is important. We don't want to be destructive. He then says, there's also a time frame you need to deal with in terms of your emotions. He says, do not let the sun go down. What does he mean here? He doesn't mean get a really good app that allows you to know daily what time sunset's going to be. That's not the point. It isn't like, it's winter! Woohoo! We haven't got any time today. We've got to richly get rid of this by five. Oh, it's summer! Man, we've got till ten to deal with stuff. It's not the point. The point is saying, actually, you need to deal quickly with the emotions you're feeling. Don't allow them to continue to shape you. Deal with them. Give time and space for them. 
give a, it gives us a framework and says there's, there's a framework that you need to start to deal with. Now, in it, there'll be some times we can quickly deal with things. There's some things that some of us in this room will be sat with thinking, yeah, but Adrian, you don't understand. These emotions have been shaping me for years because of what was done to me or what I did. Well, for you, the, the things, same thing's true. It's not that I'm saying that this is suddenly going to get changed in a moment. It's rather that there has to start a moment that starts to change. And that may take longer than a sunset. But what Paul's pointing to is saying there is a time frame to allow us to start, but also to continue to work out this sense of how we aren't governed by our emotions, but how we allow this reality of who Jesus is to shape him. Now, at this point, we can say, well, okay, that's all nice. It's kind of what the passage says. But if you're anything like me, you still have to say, well, how? <laughs> how does that work out? How can you live in that reality? Well, Paul does it how Paul always does it. Is before he kind of gets to, well, how you do this, is he says, how not to do it? How not to deal with your reality, deal with your emotions? And he does it by saying, this is the stuff you're to get rid of, because you don't want to have this in you. And he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Remember, Paul's specifically talking about ang- anger, but there is principles here we're going to be able to take in respect to all emotions. See, what Paul does is he does this scale-up. He says, right, you might feel angry, but you need to be careful that you don't allow that anger to become destructive. And that could become destructive through you becoming bitter, becoming quick-fired, seeing red rage, of kind of lingering over it, steadily burning away till you get to that point of vengeance, I'm going to get my way. Brawling, which is that way of just can't help but just escalate to a point of disagreement. That you're shouting, screaming at people, losing control. Slander, where you get alongside someone and say, you know, you can guess what they did to me. This is what you've got to know about who they really are. And then he kind of covers it all by saying, or every form of malice. In other words, anything that does any ill to anyone. As Paul always kind of gets bored on the list and says, let's just cover it with everything. Um, So there's a a principle that Paul's speaking of in terms of anger, but I'd say it's a principle we can get hold of in respect to all emotions that we need to make sure that we're not doing. Because Paul's saying, get rid of this. So there's a how not to deal with our emotions. And I'd say there's kind of five things, I think, both through this passage, but things I've picked up along the way from others and own experience. And the first one's this, don't fester on your emotions. And in respect to anger, Paul talks about bitterness. All that is, is you allow the emotion that you're feeling. Maybe that's the sense of being misunderstood by someone. And suddenly you, you take it in on it yourself and you start to feed on it. You start to just fester. It's literally like feast on it. Say, oh yeah, actually they don't understand me. Actually no one understands me. And you start to live out from this place of saying, actually no one understands me. The vibe you always give off is one of no one understands me. The saddest one I come across is that one of bitterness, where it feels like someone out of being wronged suddenly turns it and it becomes this root of saying, actually, everyone wrongs me. And what's so hard when bitterness sets foot is the only way to get rid of it is to cut it out completely because what it does, it invades every area of someone's life. And so every word they speak becomes toxic because it's just full of bitterness. Anyway, don't fester. Don't fire out. This is the rage moment. This is that moment of something happens and how you feel is you just immediately react. Now, what Paul's saying here is, you may say you just see red, but that's not part of this new life. This isn't a way to deal with your emotion. You may say that you're someone who just quickly responds to stuff. Well, if it leads to destructive behavior, 
to you or to others, this isn't a way to deal with this. See, I'd say we live in a day and age where firing out is probably the, worst, is the, most thi- the thing that's most at our fingertips, either through email or social media. We have this ability to quickly react to maybe someone's wronged us, maybe a situation we faced, and you suddenly think, go on social media, I know, I'll just vent it out here. I went to the co-op and someone, like, cut in front of me in the queue. And we think, oh, phew, feel it's out there. But this is that. This is that suddenly outburst. It's there forever for everyone to see. Paul says, guard it. Can I plead with us in terms of our social media status? Um, one of the things, the only reason to be honest, I'm on Facebook. <laughs> I don't really like Facebook. The only reason I'm on it is because I think to be a good shepherd of people, you have to watch one another's back. And I know from time to time, there can be moments where you put stuff on and you think, oh yeah, I just need to get this off the chest. Media. And then when you, with the cold light of day, you go over it and you think, actually, what would others think of what I've just shared? And so I always think, before you put the status there that will be there forever, well, not eternally, but for as long as Facebook's there, they seem to be able to keep it, that before you put it on, just pause. And we're going to come on in a moment to look at how we deal with that. So far out, next one, deny. That's what you basically say, actually, I can carry on. Nothing affects me. I just keep pushing it down. And what happens as we push it down, say nothing affects me, is it becomes like a pressure cooker. What do I mean? Well, I can remember, because I'm a bit of a sponge, with emotions. I remember helping, supporting someone who's no longer part of Oasis, uh, not for bad reasons, but just no longer part of us. And at that point, they were going through just an incredibly dark patch of life. And so I was meeting and speaking with them several times a day just because of their suicidal thoughts. They just couldn't see any way out. And I thought, oh yeah, I can deal with this. And so I just kept seeing them, just taking on things. This is fine. This is fine. Three, three days of dealing with it. One of my kids, age seven, we're watching, I'm watching TV. They come in and say, is there any chance I can put on CBeebies? No! There is no chance! I pay the bill! My television! These poor kids just sat quivering on the sofa thinking, what have I done? I didn't think CBeebies was that bad. <laughs> Lucy, my wife, is looking at me thinking, what on earth are you doing? I look at her knowing that look and I say, it's my TV. I want to show what program goes on now. And she looks at me and she goes, what's going on? At that point, I think, because I've learned sometimes to think, and I think, oh, what's going on? Oh, this is nothing to do with the TV program. This is where pressure is built up. And suddenly I've just let off steam because it got too much and it had nothing to do with them. We have to be careful when we deny because it will blow out. Next one, dump. What do I mean by this? This is the one where you basically are feeling a load of stuff and what you do is you go up to someone and say, hey, this is what I'm feeling. And you lay it all on them. I'm feeling rubbish. And once you can see in their eyes, they're feeling as bad as you, you walk off and you think, I feel a lot better now. And they leave feeling totally destroyed. Why is it called dumped or dump? Because it's exactly that. It's where you literally dump on someone. You cause them to just leave feeling smelling bad feeling bad, tasting bad, but you feel like you've gone away happy. And then lastly, escape. And this is where we can feel stuff, but in our desire to say, actually, I, don't want, I can't face this, 
we look to other things. It might be the TV, it might be alcohol, it might be sex, it might be uh, kind of just getting out with people. It might be time by ourselves. It might be fitness. It might be uh, our diet. But it's where we're basically saying, right, I'm going to go after this because it stops me having to face this. Paul says, this isn't how we're to live. There's a different way to live. Therefore, if there's a how not to, there is a how to. And Paul says, how we're to do this is in verse 32, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So you have this moment and Paul's saying, right, okay, so you've got this emotion that you're feeling. So you are angry. Don't sin, you're angry. What you need to get to is this point of saying, right, okay, I'm going to be kind and compassionate to everyone and forgive everyone. But the question is, there seems somewhat of a gap here of the emotion that I'm feeling and the ability to then live out this place of being kind and compassionate and forgiving of everyone. And that gap is really important because actually Paul doesn't leave it empty. If we were to put in a different bridge, if you like, of Scripture, let's put something else that Paul wrote in. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 4, where he writes this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We become before one who is our God, but is also our Father. And he's a father who is characterized by compassion. In other words, that word is that he sees our plight and wants to do something to change it. And he's one of comfort, that he's one who can fully comfort everything and anything that we're feeling. And Paul says, this is the one that we're to come to. This is the one that we're to come to in order that we can get to this point of living with kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. So how do we do that? I'd say four steps of how you do that. First one is this. Actually, to help this, let's do this in the first meeting. This just helps. Let's just earth it a bit. So obviously, I've had a bit of time to think about this. So I'm going to just take, that's my Wednesday this last week, because it helps me apply this. Wednesday this last week, I wake up, two coffees, I'm now awake. As I'm awake, I go through what we talked about last week, you know, renew your mind. So I'm remembering, yeah, God, I am chosen. I'm blameless, I'm shameless. Ephesians, yes, yes, blah, blah, blah. But... How I feel is completely flat. And I feel like, actually, this stuff might be true. It doesn't feel true. I know it is true. It doesn't feel true. And actually, I, I, I'm not looking forward to today. I feel like I've got this day ahead of me, and I just feel like, mm. so you know, like flat is this sense of, not darkness is set in, but just like this feels nothing And so then what I do is I think, well, why? This is the recognized bit, first step. Paul said, you will feel, it's okay to feel. Okay, so why do I feel like this? So first of all, I realize, oh, I'm about to meet someone. I'm about to meet someone who I feel a bit apprehensive of meeting because I realize I've let them down. And so I feel a bit ashamed and I feel a bit guilty because of how I know I've let them down. All right, so there's that going on. Is that all that's going on? Because the big thing you need to do when you recognize how you're feeling is you have to ask why. Why is the best question you can ever possibly ask. So you then, so I've got that. I feel flat. All right, so it's, I'm, also, I'm feeling flat because I realize it's not just feeling flat. I feel a bit guilty and ashamed. Oh, what else is going on? Oh, I feel a bit misunderstood because of this conversation I had the day before. I felt like people misunderstood what I was trying to do. I feel misunderstood. Oh, that's going on. Oh, Oh, there's another thing going on that I know today I need to do some action to an event that's going on at the end of May. And I know that it's all starting to take most of my vision 
and I feel a little bit overwhelmed by it and feel apprehensive and a bit stressed. All right, I've started to recognize that flatness that I was feeling was actually guilt, shame, misunderstanding, and a bit of fear and a bit of stress, which is basically fear. So that's it. So I've recognized. Next thing, what do I do then? I go to the comforter. I go to the one who offers me comfort. What do I do there? I tell God, I pray. I might want to write it down if I was trying to work this out. Say, in my like I journal, so, which is basically like a diary to God or help me understand what's going on. And sometimes I'll just put why, and then I keep writing down. Lucy was laughing because I do bullet points. I never write in sentences, and then I'll do lines, and it allows me to do a flowchart of the inner workings of Adrian Hurst's mind. That's a scary flowchart. Um, anyway, I'll go to the comforter, which is God, and I'll say, God, this is how I'm feeling. I feel guilty, ashamed. I feel misunderstood. I feel fearful and stressed. And then I give space to that. And that's really important. Sometimes we can think, I've done that, I've told God, now I've got to, no, you need to give space to it. Sometimes that means, not in this instance, but sometimes it means I have to give space to cry. I have to give space to give voice to the emotion. That might be I, I shout out. It might be that I am just silent. It might be that I laugh because of how excited I am. It'll be different. Third thing, so I've gone to the comforter, I've told him how I feel. Third thing, I receive comfort. See, I've not gone to God thinking, you're a, a wall, you're my ceiling, that I'm just throwing this at. Now I feel much lighter having thrown it at the ceiling. I'm going to the comforter of all comfort. One who we're told will one day see us face to face and will wipe away every tear. That's the one I come to. And as I come to him as my comforter, what does he do? He comes and provides me peace. He then causes me to remember the reality of this new life that I have that allows me to understand I am free from guilt and shame. That where I feel guilty and ashamed, I can know his forgiveness. That where I feel misunderstood, he knows me and accepts me. That where I feel stressed and fearful, he has everything in control and he has peace for me to live with for today. So I go and I receive comfort. Fourth thing, I then get to a point of being able to offer comfort. I finally get to that place of saying, oh, I can live in kindness and compassion. I can live with forgiveness, which means that the first person I meet that day is the person I was feeling slightly worried about me because I was feeling guilty and ashamed. So I immediately go in. I say, I'm sorry. I've let you down. I realize that. Do you know what they said? Thanks so much for being in reality. Thanks so much for offering me your apology. Of course you're forgiven. This makes us our relationship even deeper. First thing. Second thing, the misunderstanding. It then causes me not to live the day out thinking, oh, no one understands me. I get to live out the day remembering, God, you understand me. Amazing. Finally, you understand me and accept me. I then get to live out offering that comfort of saying, actually, I don't need to worry about that. I can actually take action because I'm not living out fear of actually knowing, God, you've got this all in control. See, I'd say when it comes to the last one of offering comfort, sometimes it isn't that we need to be forgiven. Sometimes we need to forgive others. And it's really clear there that we forgive as we've been forgiven. And God forgives by saying that we, it's done, it's dealt with. It's not to be remembered as far as the east is from the west. And so when we forgive others, we forgive them completely. We don't forgive them with the joker card mentality, which is, I forgive you until you mess up, and then I'm going to show you it again. No, it's, it's forgotten. 
That doesn't mean, just as two quick aside in terms of forgiveness, it doesn't mean that therefore if someone continually keeps doing repetitive behavior that needs forgiveness, that we need to keep taking ourselves back to them to keep being hit. That might be literal, but it's often just mentally, spiritually. So we can forgive them, and sometimes forgiveness means I forgive you, but I don't need to keep coming back to where you are. Can I say the other thing about forgiveness is often we can hear and receive forgiveness from God. We can receive, we can give forgiveness to others, but often we retain from giving or stop ourselves from giving forgiveness to ourselves. And sometimes we can think, oh God, I know you forgive me, but I don't think I'm yet, I should be let off the hook yet. And for some of us, we live imprisoned by the fact that we will not forgive ourselves. And part of us offering comfort is actually offering ourselves forgiveness. And saying, just as God has seen this as far as the east is from the west, I am now to live in light of that. I don't need to punish myself over this one. See, with this, can I make just two quick notes? The first one is this, or A, I've said. Take t- this takes time. This is something you have to take time over. So if you're like, Wednesday, I could have just moted on during my day. Instead, I thought, oh no, I've got to stop. And actually, I know now through experience that for my day to be more productive, it's worth taking the time out in this moment to deal with these emotions. To deal with how, what's going on internally takes time. And therefore, allow time. Maybe it's for you, it's like at the end of your working day, the end of uh, your course that you've been part of. Maybe it's at that point, just allowing yourself a moment of just saying, actually, before I rush home, I'm actually just going to afford myself a bit of time to just deal with what's going on before I get to the next thing. Sometimes it's at the beginning of the day. Sometimes I find it's throughout the day. I continually find it. It takes time. The other thing, just as I said at the beginning, for some of us, we just know what we're facing is bigger than just something that's going to get dealt with here and now in this moment. And that's okay. It will literally take time. But there is hope. That the stuff we feel just seems to govern our life isn't, doesn't have to be that way forever. But the point is that it takes time, therefore it has to have a starting point. And maybe today, for some of us, is that starting point of saying, actually, I want to start to live understanding the comfort that God has for me. And then secondly, can I say it's also that we don't do this alone. That we get to be in community, therefore we get to stand alongside one another. There are some times where I can come to the comforter and say, actually, Father, I I need your comfort. Sometimes I need to go to others and say, I'm just finding it hard to even get my eyes focused. Can you help me? Now, in the first meeting, someone asked a quick question at this point, which is a great question, which is, well, then, does that mean we're dumping on someone? Is the moment we ask for help, is that the same as dumping? And the answer to that is no. Because the difference is when you're dumping on someone, what you're doing is you're saying, actually, you take this now, I now feel better. When this point, when you're asking for help, is you're saying, actually, would you help me in the solution here? Would you help me find out how I can know the comfort of God? I say it's totally different. See, we are those that are crafted anew, and that includes our emotions. And that therefore means that there is a reality we get to live with, which brings a hope for some of us. Where it can feel like our emotions are the thing that governs everything that we can realize this new reality we have in Jesus actually allows us to know there is hope that this doesn't have to be the case. 
It's also the fact that it's not only a hope for us, it's also a witness to everyone else. Because there's a reality we get to live with that actually in everything that we're dealing with, the emotions that we feel, how we react to them become something that others see and begin to take notice of. And we get to reveal something of the wonder of who Jesus is. So I want to leave us with just, I can't remember how many questions, but a few questions to consider. That were crafted in you. First one, how am I? This isn't for you to all do an evaluation of me, obviously. Uh, The I is for all of us to think of ourselves as individuals. How am I dealing with my emotions at the moment? Are they governing? Or are they flowing out of this reality of who we are in Jesus? How would others describe me in how I react? That's a great question. A really horrible question, but a really good question. Ask people who are going to be honest as well. Don't ask people who are going to say, oh, you're brilliant. Ask people who are going to be real, who know you. If you've got unbelievers around you, ask them. Because they don't know the rules. They'll just tell you as it is. Do I need comfort? The next three questions are closed. And that's on purpose. Do I need comfort? Have you come this morning thinking, actually, I thought I'd just got to carry this. I thought it was this excess baggage that's just got to come around me. I thought I'd got to be characterized by this. Actually, what's being presented is, now I get to have a father who's longing to give me comfort. Am I offering comfort? Are we those who, out of the comfort we've known, are continuously looking around saying, actually, is there anyone else I can see who's needing to draw into this comfort? Can I offer it? And then lastly, do I need to forgive anyone? That's like a yes or no. And if you do, do it. Why? Because that's how it's modeled.